Well, good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Please help us to hear it. Please help us to grow in our understanding of you through it. And please help us to be more like Jesus. And we pray this prayer in his name. Amen. Well, every few years, it is good to do a short sermon series on spiritual disciplines. Um, I've done two such series uh, uh, in the past since coming to St. Barnabas, the first in 2011 and the second in 2013. So I guess it's high time that we did another one, a series of sermons on spiritual disciplines. Uh, What is a spiritual discipline? Well, a spiritual discipline is a practice. It's a thing that we do regularly. It is something that is good for us spiritually. Uh, We don't do it necessarily because it's good for us physically per se, but rather because it's good for us spiritually. That is to say, it is something that helps us to get to know Jesus better, to grow in our love for him to grow in our intimacy with him, to grow in our likeness to him, and in becoming more like Jesus, being better equipped to serve him in the world day by day. So spiritual disciplines help us to grow in godliness. Uh, That said, um, things that are good for us spiritually are usually good for us physically and emotionally and mentally, As well, Um, spiritual disciplines actually keep us fit in many ways. Paul, writing to his young friend Timothy, said, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It's uh, important to note that a spiritual discipline is not something that saves us, nor is it something that earns us brownie points with God. No, we are, we are saved by grace, through faith, and that's uh, a gift from God. But a spiritual discipline is something that saved people do in order to grow in godliness. And spiritual disciplines are things that require discipline. That is to say, they are things that require a degree of commitment or hard work. They are things that we do, even though we, there may be many times when we don't feel like doing them. Because we do them when actually we can't be bothered doing them. That's why they're called disciplines. Because they require discipline. And uh, by the way, and this is something uh, important to know and understand and to keep in mind about life on planet Earth. Uh, we live in a world where doing the wrong thing will usually reward you in the short term. And doing the right thing will usually punish you in the short term. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, we'd live in a world where there was a very direct relationship between righteousness and reward, between doing the right thing and being rewarded. That would happen immediately if we lived in the world that God intended. But because they sinned, we live in a fallen and broken world where the link between right behavior and right reward is damaged. 
It's not completely broken, it's just damaged. What this means, therefore, is that we live in a world where doing the wrong thing, although it might reward us in the short term, it will always cost us. And sometimes cost us very severely in the long term. And doing the right thing, although that may cost us in the short term, we may have to suffer for it to begin with, in the long run, it will reward us and reward us so abundantly as to make all the suffering worthwhile. But that's something important to bear in mind about the world that we live in. We should know this so it doesn't surprise us. Doing the right thing is usually hard to begin with. But in the long run, we'll be glad that we did it. As a child, I had piano lessons for six years. But I was lazy about practicing, and I didn't practice. Which is why now, as an adult, I can't play the piano. Spiritual disciplines are spiritual, and spiritual disciplines require discipline. Examples of spiritual disciplines include reading your Bible and praying every day. That's important. Uh, it includes taking one day off in seven as a day of rest. That's important. Uh, spiritual disciplines include confessing your sins one to another. And it includes giving money to God and to people in need. And there are many of them. We're going to look at four in this series of sermons. And today, we're going to consider church attendance. The spiritual discipline of coming to church. And here's the question. Why should we bother coming to church? And here's the answer. Because the job of human beings is to copy God. And God is a church. God is a community of worshippers, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in his eternal being is filled with love and is never lonely. Rather, the Father loves the Son and is constantly showing him everything he's doing and he's doing everything with and for the Son. The Son is constantly talking to the Father and doing everything with and for the Father and by himself, the Son can do nothing. The Son does nothing. And it is the Holy Spirit who brings the deep things from the Father's heart to the Son's heart and from the Son's heart to the Father's heart. The Holy Spirit knows what's going on in the Son's heart and speaks continually to the Father. And into this fellowship the first human beings were invited. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they were forced to leave the Garden of Eden, the place where they had friendship with God. Forced out, they were alone. And as sin worked its deception and destructive power in people's lives, they became more and more alone. Sin, working its wickedness, it isolates us from God, from each other, and from the rest of creation. Satan is always working so as to separate human beings from each other and from community, using division, 
distraction, and disruption. Sin isolates us. It makes us alone. It leaves us alone. It forces us to be alone. In hell, there will be no friendship, no mateship, no love of any kind. Rather, there'll be accusation and counter-accusation, hurt feelings and arguments, blame and counter-blame, and a never-ending spiral of, but it's not my fault, but I, I had no choice. I wasn't the one who started it. He's lying, but it's not fair, etc., etc., etc. And there'll be terror and pain and fear and worry and anxiety without hope of cure or healing ever, every second more lonely than the one that preceded it. This is what Jesus has saved us from. You see, when we were dead and lost in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, all of the bad things that we've done. And having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, that list of things that we'd done, he took them away, nailing them to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so when we believe in Jesus, when we say, thank you, Jesus, for dying and rising for me. When we, we do that, we're invited back into that fellowship, into the community of God. We are friends again with God, without fear or blame or accusation in the presence of God our Father. And when we meet Jesus, we're filled with the Spirit and we know, uh, we know the fatherhood of God. And filled with the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ who speaks to us, reminding us of all that Jesus taught and reminding us of who Jesus is and reminding us of who we are in Christ. And so also because we are friends again with God, we can be friends again actually with each other as well. We go to church because we are friends again with God and friends again with with each other, saved from isolation for community, for the community of God, for the community of God's people, and for community with God's creation. Now, because church going is so very important, it is not at all surprising that we may feel tempted to reject it, discard it, or neglect it. People might say, but you can be a Christian and not go to church. Technically, that's true. But the Spirit will always be wanting to draw us again back into community. I have been saved by God for Jesus. But I've also been saved for you. And you also have been saved for me. Because it is God's will that we form ourselves into Christian communities, it is very dangerous spiritually to disobey God on this. Christians who avoid other Christians usually end up not being Christian. 
Uh, some years ago, I wrote a letter to our Archbishop asking for permission to be absent from Synod that year. Now, Synod is one of our big Anglican get-togethers each year. It's an event at which all clergy are required contractually to be present. But I wanted to be on those particular dates on holiday with family in Melbourne. So I asked the Archbishop's permission to be absent. Archbishop Roger Herft wrote back to me, giving me permission, but saying, I'm happy to give you permission to go, but we'll be diminished by your absence. Diminished by your absence. He was right, and I know what he means. We, we can only be all together if, in fact, we are all together. And as the Bible says in many and various ways and in multiple passages, when we are all together, each of us brings something good and something different. Church is the primary place where we learn from each other about what it means to be a Christian. We learn from each other about how to pray. We learn from each other about the Bible and how to read the Bible. We learn from each other about how to think Christianly and how to relate to the things that we find out there in the world in a Christ-like way. And we are encouraged to keep going as Christians. Now, by encouraged, I don't mean hyped or psyched or energized. Although when we are feeling encouraged, we might feel something like that. No, no, when, when we encourage each other, we put courage into each other's hearts. Courage to keep going when we're discouraged. Courage to keep trusting Jesus when we're feeling frightened. Courage to keep walking in his ways when we're tempted to take shortcuts or to do the wrong thing. It takes courage to be a Christian, now and always. So we need to come together to put courage into each other's hearts. Uh, when I was a curate, uh, a new priest, a priest with pea plates on, at church in Melbourne, uh, my job was looking after the children's ministry. I was, I was children's pastor or children's minister, looking after holiday clubs and kingdom kids and stuff like that. And as children's minister, I was passionate about children's ministry. And I remember one day at a staff meeting telling the rest of the staff team, hey, children's ministry is where it's at with respect to attracting and holding on to new families at church. Adults might tolerate music that isn't exactly to their liking or preaching that is second rate, but if the kids aren't coming, if the kids aren't happy, they're not coming back. I was wrong. No, actually, soon after that, I read a study which analyzed reasons for return visits when families are, if you'll pardon the expression, church shopping. What was the number one influencer, the most powerful thing in bringing families back to church? Well, actually, it was this. A family was most likely to return if the mother of the family saw at that church another woman who was about her age and dressed similarly. Well... 
That all might sound a little bit spurious. But I think actually that points to a tremendously significant principle relating to church, and that is the principle of public witness. When you come to church, whether or not you've got a job to do, whether or not you've got a ministry, whether you're up front or behind the scenes, maybe you're just sitting there and doing nothing other than what everybody else is doing, but actually just sitting there, you're doing something incredibly important. You are showing the world that you believe in Jesus and that you think worship is more important than anything else that you could be doing on a Sunday morning. And that is a very powerful witness. And there may be someone in church that day who needs the encouragement of your witness, the simple witness of your presence. A teenager, for example, who comes here and sees other teenagers, good-looking, cool-looking teenagers, they might think, hey, Christianity is not just for dags. Actually, Christianity is most certainly for dags, otherwise I couldn't be here. But it's not just for dags. This is one more reason why Jesus expects you to be at church every Sunday. Also, you know, we're a lot like dogs and uh, horses and parrots and sheep. We don't like to be alone. Um, sure, we all need times of being alone. And like, like Jesus, we need times to be alone with our own thoughts and times to pour out our thoughts and feelings to God our Father in prayer. But it is usual for human beings to be with other human beings. The natural environment for human beings is family, is community. Um, I understand that if you're in a paddock with a wild horse, uh, that horse being wild will keep as far away from you as possible for hours. But if you just stand there quietly, eventually that horse being wild will wander up to you and say hello. And the reason for that is horses don't like to be alone. It's not natural. Um, they need a friend. We all need friends. Um, we, we tend to think of cats. We tend to think that cats purr when they're happy. But as vets know, sometimes a cat will purr when it is in great pain. Perhaps when it has been hit by a car when he or she needs help. And that's because actually the true meaning of purring is, I need a friend. We all need friends. Scientists have been studying those communities around the Mediterranean where people routinely live to very advanced old age, routinely living past 100 and being physically fit and mentally sharp. And their habits are a bit surprising. They drink plenty of red wine and olive oil on everything and they have coffee and pastries for breakfast. But the one thing that they do do is that they do do everything together. They're never alone. They do everything together. We all need friends. Community is very good for us. We all need friends so badly that when we are lonely, our bodies go into survival mode. Physically, we become unwell. Mentally, not that well either. Depressed and anxious. 
This leads to something that the psychologists call hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is a state of mind and body where we believe that we are likely to be attacked at any moment because we know that we are not safe. Our body is telling us that. Hypervigilance makes us overly sensitive to anything that could be a slight or an insult. It makes us think and feel that people dislike us, even when they don't, even when they like us. I, I do know about this from my own personal experience um, in days gone by, extreme loneliness and hypervigilance. I've been there, bought the T-shirt. Hypervigilance makes us hypersensitive to even the faintest possibility of rejection. And that means that, paradoxically, lonely people avoid people. It also means that, paradoxically, even welcoming churches can feel unwelcoming to lonely people. And so for us, as special agents of Jesus, we must make sure that we're as welcoming as possible. Friendly, polite, outgoing, watching for those who might be by themselves or new, going up to people who might be new or by themselves, especially if there's somebody like us, somebody our own age, somebody our own sex. A study showed uh, that when it comes to people uh, revisiting a church, there is a 60% chance that they will return to that church the next weekend if they are visited by the pastor of that church during the week. But there is a 90% chance that they'll return if they're visited by someone who is not the pastor. It means that we do well to be a friendly, outgoing church that's warm and inclusive. So then, going regularly to church every week so that we get to know each other, so that we get to know each other really well, so that we get really disappointed with each other and then recover and learn to love and forgive and get on with it. This is very good for us mentally and physically, good for our minds, good for our bodies, as well as good for our spirits. Why bother going to church? when there's so much other good stuff happening at the same time? Well, without question, here in Australia, there'll always be fun and exciting or rewarding things to do at the same time as church. And indeed, it may often be the case that church, it, it can, church indeed can sometimes feel a very long way from anything that's cool, interesting, and exciting. Church, to be sure, can be daggy, boring, and dull. Even when we see church attendance as a priority, we may fall into the trap of seeing it as our priority leisure time activity. After all, most of us turn up in leisure time clothing. As a consequence, we might consider church, perhaps unconsciously, as a consumer item that we consume. We shop around for a church that meets our needs. Now, if I go and see a film, say at event cinemas in a, in a loo, if I go and see a movie, that's a consumer leisure time activity. But it doesn't make any difference to anyone else whether I'm there or not. People are not waiting for me before they start the film. They're not disappointed if I fail to turn up. 
And the pleasure of the film is not diminished for others by my non-attendance. Indeed, it might even be heightened. But church is completely different to that. We'll be diminished by your absence if you choose not to come. Because our meeting is a meeting of our real and eternal family. It is a rehearsal of our eternal vocation, which is the corporate worship of God. That's our truest eternal calling. And church is the place where we expect God to bless us. We expect to be a blessing to God and to bless him, and we expect to be a blessing to each other. Does Jesus want you to go to church? Yes. Does Jesus want you to go to this church? I don't know. I do know he wants me to go to this church. Hopefully for some good time yet. As for you, if you're in any doubt about that, I encourage you to seek God's face and to pray and and to ask him where he wants you to worship. Because where we worship should, first of all, be a manifestation of his will before it's a manifestation of our own will. Therefore, we are no lo- we're no longer strangers. We're no longer aliens, but we are fellow citizens belonging together with God's people. We are members of his household, members of his family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a temple holy in the Lord. In him we too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Saved from isolation. For communion with God and with each other, both now and forever. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. Amen.